Death is something that we deal with in a variety of different ways. We deal with it in our families. And, but for, for us as a family, we deal with it with our pets sometimes. This week I was walking by um, our fish tank. And I looked over at the fish tank and several of the fish are swimming in strange ways. Or at least floating in strange ways. Upside down with things growing on them. And there's a frog at the top that is just dead. And I have this moment of what do I do? How do I deal with death? I I know my kids have not seen this yet. Do you remember the commercial earlier this year about the dad? I just want to play that this morning. I I love this commercial and it fits with what we're talking about. Don, can you play that? Hurry up, hurry up, got a red, red light. Gonna make, gonna make it home on time. It's green, it's green, it's a green, green light. Never fear, never fear, he's super down. He's got this underwater pass. Gonna make, gonna make, gonna make it home before the table's set. Here I am, it's time to save the day. Hi, Bubbles. So my thought is, can I get away with this? And I didn't. We, we got the kids together and had a little talk about fish dying and, and that that's okay and we'll go replace them sometime. But we have all kinds of ways we try to deal with death because the one thing that that dad couldn't do and I couldn't do and no one in this room can do is somehow touch those fish and have them magically wake up, right? We just don't have that ability. And as we come to Easter, as we come to the story of the resurrection, We come with wonder and awe and excitement and worship because God Almighty has done something that no one else can do. And so this morning, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and King. We celebrate that He is not still in the grave. He is not still dead, but that He is alive and He is risen. Now Paul would often preach the resurrection. He always preached the resurrection of Christ and And at times, we know in Acts 17, at times he was laughed at. At times he was mocked. And even today, if we tell people that, oh yeah, we're celebrating Christ rose from the dead. And and, you know, how do we talk about Easter? How will you talk about it tomorrow? I celebrated Easter or I celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes if we say I celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, people will look at us like, you still believe in that kind of stuff? You still believe in that myth? And so some have even tried to take it out of Christianity and tried to take out a real resurrection from the faith to to the detriment of their faith, to the loss of their faith, I would argue. This morning I want to start by reading the resurrection account again. We heard it together, but in Luke 24, I'll read it out of a different Gospel. In Luke 24, 1-11, I want to start with this account because this is true. It really happened And it changes everything about our faith. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee? Thus the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. 
And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. There was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amazing. God raised Jesus from the dead, just as He said. And it was the capstone to His work on the cross, to His work of salvation. It was the power and the proof of redemption. That's why we get excited about it and that's why we celebrate it. And we don't want to leave out the resurrection as we consider the work of the cross. So this morning I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to look at Paul as he gives an argument for the resurrection. Why it matters. Why it's essential that it's part of our belief system. Why it's more than a myth. We're going to look at ten different observations about the resurrection. Some of you hear the word ten and you're like, oh great. There goes Easter lunch. But I just want to make these ten statements out of the text and go through them pretty quickly and give us something to think about this week. Give you an opportunity to review them this week and to think about the truth of each of these, to go back through 1 Corinthians 15 and review them. So this is sort of our top ten list of why the resurrection matters. Things to know about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15 the first thing we see is that the resurrection is an essential part of the Gospel message. The resurrection is an essential part of the Gospel message. Sometimes we can add it in and when we're telling people the Gospel, we we just sort of tack on, oh, and He rose from the dead. For Paul and for God, it was an essential part. In verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you. And he goes on to to talk a little bit about the Gospel. And then in verses 3 and 4, He describes the Gospel in one of the greatest summaries that that we have in Scripture. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. And in two verses, we see a whole number of things about the Gospel. One, Jesus is called the Christ or the Messiah It's a designation that He is God. Number two, we see that He died for our sins. And that implies that sins needed to be died for. It's a reminder that every one of us in this room are sinners. Every one of us has a problem that we cannot solve on our own. And so Jesus came and died for our sins on the the cross. We see that He was buried in verse 4. A reminder that he really died. Some have said, well, he didn't really die. I've got to tell you, the Romans were really good at killing people. They didn't accidentally let someone live when they crucified them. And so Christ really died. He really was buried. He really was put in that tomb with the stone rolled in front of it. And Paul's reminding them of that. The truth of those statements. And he was raised on the third day. Praise God. He didn't stay dead. Sin didn't win. Death did not conquer Jesus, but Jesus conquered death. In Psalm 16.10, probably one of the Scriptures that Paul is referring to, 
For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. It's all part of the Gospel. And as we share the Gospel, as you here hear the Gospel, the culminating event, the proof of the Gospel, the proof that Jesus has the power to save is that the tomb was empty. He rose again. And the penalty for sin is death, but death was conquered on the third day. It finishes the story. Does that make sense? Anyone like Star Wars? I like Star Wars, and you have to go back to the very first one, the real one. Some of you know exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) And you get to the end of the movie, and the gospel without the resurrection is sort of like ending the movie when Luke launches the torpedoes. The torpedoes have been launched... We, we know that that's supposed to destroy the Death Star, but what, do you, what would happen if the movie ended there? What question would be in your mind? What happened? Did it work? Did he hit the right spot? Did the whole thing blow up and then the whole universe saved? You know, we can go, that's, that's the grand theme. The resurrection tells us what happened. It tells us the end of the story. It tells us death is conquered. Sin is defeated. Consider the cross for a moment without the resurrection. If Jesus died and never rose, He would be nothing more than a martyr. He would be nothing more than a man, maybe even a good man, that died for some cause. Because there is no end to the story. We would have to come to the conclusion that death won that somehow he was paying for his own sins or it wasn't enough to pay for all of our sins. But then consider the other way. What if the resurrection happened without the cross? Jesus had just passed away of natural causes and the resurrection happened. Then we would just have some really cool miracle. But it wouldn't be the defeat of sin and death. The two together are the gospel. Michael Byrd, in discussing the significance of the resurrection, said this, The cross without the resurrection is just martyrdom. The resurrection without the cross is a miraculous intrusion into history and a paranormal freak show with indeterminable significance. Because it's just another miracle. First observation, the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel message. Don't neglect it. It displays God's power. It displays the full extent of God's grace. So many times we think of grace as payment for sins, right? But grace also includes new life and and a future with Christ that we don't deserve. The gospel without the resurrection is shortchanging grace and misunderstanding it. Wearsby says a dead Savior can't save anyone. Praise God, we don't worship a dead Savior. We worship one that is alive and interceding on our behalf. Next observation about the resurrection, something to know. In verses 5-8, through eight, the resurrection was verified by many witnesses. The resurrection was verified by many witnesses. Paul felt it was an important enough event to make sure he included proof of it. And so in verse 5 we read, "...and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve... Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. 
And Paul here to the Corinthians who were doubting the resurrection, doubting whether they would be raised from the dead, and, and then in turn doubting whether Christ was raised. He said, okay, here's a bunch of people. Go talk to them. Many of these people still alive. If Paul was lying, if the resurrection never happened, and we'll talk next year about some proofs of the resurrection, if the resurrection never happened, there are people that can refute it. And so Paul appeals to witnesses. I know most of the adults here can understand that concept, but to the kids here, that might be a little difficult. So could I have five or six kids come up here for a minute? Five or six kids, just come up here. There's one. Whoops, as I fall down. I was about to say, be careful not to trip over anything. Okay, one, two, we have five. Okay, what do you guys see back here? A cross and a tomb, right? Or a stone that would have rolled in front of the tomb. Okay, that makes sense? You all, you all see that, okay? Okay, you four stay right there, okay? I'd like you to do me a favor and turn this way, turn around this way. Can you close your eyes? Okay, and don't look. Promise you won't look? You have 250 people looking at you. They're going to tell me if you look, okay? <laughs> I would talk but, and explain what I'm doing, but that would sort of give it away. Okay, you can open your eyes. Thank you. Did he keep his eyes closed? Awesome. Turn around. What do you see? The cross and flowers. What's missing? The tomb, the stone that goes in front of the tomb. What happened to it? We took it away. Who do you think took it away? You don't know, do you? Because you didn't see it. So what can you do to know what happened to that stone? Who can you ask? What about your four friends right here? They watched the whole thing. So ask one of them. Okay. It's over there. Who, who rolled it over there? Okay. Ask him. Okay? You guys can talk. It's okay. <laughs> Ask him. Who rolled it over there? Who rolled it over there? Me? Okay. What about you? Are you going to answer the same thing? Why did you roll over there? <laughs> Why did I roll it over there? To illustrate a point. <laughs> okay. Do you believe I rolled it over there? Do you, do you believe I rolled it over there? Yeah, it's, a, it's not a trick question. Yes, he's like, I don't know what he's doing to me. Yeah, because you had four people tell you that, right? Yeah, I rolled it over there. And, and you can see that it's not there, and I rolled it over there. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul is saying, here's four people you can ask if you're wondering if this is true. And actually, he gives a lot more than four, doesn't he? He gives 500 at one point, and the 12, and some other people that all saw Jesus alive after the crucifixion. And so the only thing you can really come to, the only conclusion you can come to is it really happened. The tomb really was empty. The stone really was rolled away. And Jesus really is alive. That makes sense? Yes. Is Jesus alive? Yes. Did he rise from the dead? Yes. Absolutely. We know that. We know scripture is true. You guys can sit down. Give him a hand.
And so that's what Paul is doing. Is he, he's proving the resurrection to them because it's an essential part of the gospel. He doesn't want them to miss it. And kids, I hope you see, see that and understand that. That Easter really happened. The resurrection really happened. Point number three, as we go on in the text, it will hit, we're, gonna, we're not going to hit every verse, but we'll hit several observations. Christ's resurrection is our assurance and hope of eternal life. Christ's resurrection is our assurance and hope of, our, of eternal life. Just as He was raised, we who believe will also be raised from death to eternal life. Some of the verses that are there. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? And Paul's using an argument to say if Christ was raised, those that believe will be too. Jumping to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And again, he's tying the resurrection to our hope of not perishing, our hope of eternal life. Verses 22 and 23 really delve into this deeper. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all, speaking of believers, shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. See, Christ was raised by God from the dead and that was the example, that was the first fruits of how we can look at the future. That death no longer is our enemy. Death is no longer that ends our life permanently because just as God was able to raise Christ, He's promised that those who believe in Christ will share in that resurrection. And so... The resurrection gives us hope. It gives us assurance that this life is not all there is. It gives us assurance of eternal life with Jesus Christ. See, if Jesus was never raised, how would we view his his statement, you will be with me in paradise, to the thief? Well, he's dead if he's not raised. How do we view statements like, believe in me and you will have eternal life, if he wasn't even able to conquer death? It is vital that we understand the resurrection. If I was to stand up here and say, for only $49.99, I will send you this week my guide to how to make a million dollars before the year is up. How many of you would say, no, no, no. What would be your first question? I'm not charging enough. (laughs) How? Because you'd look at me probably and say, well, okay, You're not a millionaire. You've never been a millionaire. You probably never will be a millionaire. And you want me to pay for your secret of how to be a millionaire? See, there's no credibility if I haven't walked that path first. Jesus rose from the dead. And so there is extreme credibility when He says, you will have eternal life if you believe in Me. And Paul is bringing that out. Christ's resurrection is our assurance and hope of eternal life. We jump to verses 17 and 18. Because Christ has risen, we who believe are not still mired in our sins. Because Christ has risen, we who believe are not still mired in our sins. Verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. In other words, it's empty, it's worthless, it's hollow. And you are still in your sins. 
And that's an important theological understanding is the death on the cross is combined with the resurrection for payment of our sins. If we just have the death of the cross, the penalty for sin is paid, but the hold of sin in our lives is not conquered. And we're still in our sins. But the resurrection proves victory over sin. In Romans 4.25, we read, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our, our justification. And we see this idea that the death paid for our trespasses, the resurrection is how Christ declares us righteous before God. See, Christ dead without the resurrection, he would just be a condemned man, not a justified Christ. And we're reminded here that the wages of sin is death that we all deserve death, but His death on the cross paid that, and then His resurrection gives us new life, gives us cleansing from sin and victory over sin. Ephesians 2, 4-5 through says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, and were described as dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The resurrection is how we're alive in Christ. It is how there is victory over sin. Without the resurrection, you and I and Jesus are still dead. This is important to understand when we think of sin and we think of being mired in sin and being slaves to sin, the Bible often describes it as that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you no longer have to be a slave to sin. Sin has been conquered because of the resurrection. It is done. And by looking to Christ and looking to the Holy Spirit, we have that same victory. The problem is we don't. We don't look to Him. And we stay mired in sin when we don't need to. The news of the resurrection is it's done. It's paid for. Let's have victory. Next point is in the next verse, the next observation Because Christ has risen, our afflicted lives are not pitiable. I love how how Piper words that, so I just stole his wording. But I mentioned him. I tried and tried and tried to reword that point, and I'm like, I I just love how he words it. It comes from verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And what Paul is arguing is, if our hope is in Christ... And there's no resurrection. It's just about this this life. We're pitiful people. And and the word for pity there is when you have a, a number of events happen to you or suffering or affliction, then people pity you. Then people have sympathy on you. And so Paul is saying, really, if we suffer for Christ here, if we go through things for Christ here, and there's nothing after this life, man, that's just sad. And so Paul says, because Christ rose from the dead, our afflicted lives are not pitiable. They have value. They have worth. See, if it was just about this life, if Jesus never rose, he'd be a good teacher. It may be someone to learn from, some example to follow, but not someone to sacrifice for, not someone to devote your life to. 
It'd be like if you spent your whole life sacrificing to put money into a retirement fund and then you go to retire and find out it's not there. People would pity you. In the last 10 years, that's happened to some of you. But because of the resurrection, that will not happen with investments we make in Christ. So Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But because he rose, there is no pity needed. Only celebration and victory. Sixth observation about the resurrection. The resurrection sets into motion the reversal of the curse. And we read these verses. I want to read them again, 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And this comes back to God's plan from Genesis 3 and actually from, from all of time. But in Genesis 3, we see the fall. We see Adam and Eve fall and sin into this world. And we see the Genesis 3 world that we live in. And we hate it sometimes. And we watch it struggle as we look at the news. And, and we see just the awful things that happen in this world. But God wasn't surprised. And in His plan, He is going to redeem all creation to Himself. And He is going to offer salvation for all who believe in Him. And He is eventually, we know at the end of Revelation, going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Well, the resurrection is the beginning of that reversal of the curse. It is death from the curse being conquered and being overruled. It is God's kingdom being set into motion here and now. That we as believers are part of His kingdom. We are part of that victory. We are part of what He is doing. And that's the already part of the kingdom. And that's just a glimpse of what the future kingdom is going to be. What heaven's going to be. When we are in eternity worshiping our King together. So Paul says, By a man, Adam, came death. By a man, Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. The future hope. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Without the resurrection, the curse isn't overturned there. There's no answer for death. There's no answer for the penalty. Resurrection is reversing the effects of sin. Restoration. Whereas Christ's death took care of the penalty for sin. Which is more important? Yes. They both are. They go hand in hand. I think about this when I discipline my children. When they've done something wrong, we go into the back room and we talk for a little bit before discipline happens. And then discipline happens. And that's the, the, their just payment for their sin. But the process doesn't end there. At that point, we talk, we pray together, we ask for God's forgiveness, and I bring them back out to the family and there's restoration. That's what the resurrection is about. Restoration. Don't discount it. Celebrate it. Observation number seven. The resurrection shows that Christ rules over all. Christ rules over all. Jump to verse 25, just a few down. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. 
And what he's saying here is that the conquering of death through the resurrection is sort of the last frontier. Yeah, there's human kingdoms that have been destroyed, but death, who can avoid death? You know, what's the saying? You can't avoid death and taxes. And we just all paid our taxes. But today we talk about avoiding death. Death that is separation from God. And and what Christ is showing through His resurrection is that there is no enemy that has power over Him. All are in subjection to Him. Now, isn't that comforting when we think of who we worship? Who we devote our lives to? If Christ wasn't raised, death wins. Sin wins. Satan wins. And we're worshiping the wrong God because He's not all-powerful. But the resurrection proves His power. That He is Almighty God. That gives comfort. That gives joy. That allows me to worship a God that I know is above all things and above all other gods. The resurrection shows that Christ rules over all. That applies to my life. Because if the resurrection happened and it did, and Christ rules over all, the question I'm faced with daily is, do I let Him? Do I let Him rule? Do I even ask Him when I make decisions, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do I even think about that when I sin and go against His will? Or is it my joy to follow Him? Is it my joy to say, God, You know what's best. You are supreme over all. It's a mindset that the resurrection gives us that we are worshiping God Almighty. Three more. Number eight. Christ's resurrection reminds us that there is so much more to live for than this life. Praise God. There is so much more to live for than just this life. It gives us a future to live for. In verse 32, Paul here is again continuing his arguments pertaining to the resurrection. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And he's, he's, he's describing a culture of the time, the Greek culture of the time, that says, hey, we can do whatever we want here because this is it. This is all there is for our bodies. So let's party. Let's have a great time. Sound like any, any culture today? And that's where it always leads. If there's nothing more to live for, then why not just live it up here? When he talks about the beasts at Ephesus, they, they did have animal games. Probably not talking about the arena yet. This is a little early in history. But hunting and, and fighting, um, hunting wild beasts. And it's a reference in, in, uh, as a symbol to the false teachers, the people that were attacking Paul and harassing him and, and countering him in Ephesus. But he says, what was the point if this is it, why not just eat, drink, and die? He says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Isn't that great? That's in the Bible. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And Paul here is getting the fatherly finger out and saying, Wake up. There is more to live for in this life. Are you living just for here and now for enjoyment? Are you living for an eternity? 
So he says, be willing to sacrifice. Stop sinning. Tell people about Christ. There's a responsibility here. In 2010, renowned atheist Christopher Hitchens was diagnosed with cancer. And he writes about this experience as he's facing death, a man who, who has had declared that there is no God. And he says this, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. I had real plans for my next decade and felt I'd work hard enough to earn it. Will I really not live to see my children married, to watch the World Trade Center rise again? To the dumb question, why me, the cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? I sometimes wish I were suffering in a good cause or risking my life for the good of others instead of just being a gravely endangered patient. I read that and it haunts me. Do you hear the emptiness in what he's saying? There is nothing to live for. And so he comes to the end of his life and there's only emptiness. Because of the resurrection, because of the hope and the assurance we have of a future village, there is so much more to live for than this life. And so our challenge is, do I live for more than this life? Or am I just having fun, trying to please myself, do what I want? Or am I living knowing there's a future? Knowing people need to hear about Jesus. And if they don't follow Jesus, they will not have eternal life. And they will spend eternity in hell. See, that, that, that view of the future should, should motivate us. Should challenge us to live for more than the, just this life. To live a life that has meaning. Because it leads people to Christ. Number nine, our resurrected bodies will be like Christ's resurrected body. I love this one. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about heaven. But Paul here is is he, he asked the rhetorical question, well, what will the, the resurrected body look like? And probably some of the people countering him were were using that as a, a, a proof against a resurrection, saying Come on, look at our bodies. Do you want this kind of body for all eternity? And I'd say, no, I don't want this body for all eternity. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to cough anymore. I don't want all the things that are, are this life. And so Paul says, but this body isn't what we're resurrected to. Our resurrected bodies will be like Christ's resurrected body. Incredibly different with, from what we struggle with now. In verse 42 so, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. And he's just using the, the imagery of a seed, and a seed is, is small, it's wrinkled, it's, it's dead for all, all intents and purposes when you look at it, but you plant it and it grows into this wondrous, wondrous plant or tree. And he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. So he says, our bodies, they're decaying, perishable. Any, any objections to that? Yeah, we get old. Our, our bodies are decaying. But our new bodies at the resurrection will be like Christ's. And they'll be imperishable. No death. No sickness. No decay. He goes on to say, It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. And our new bodies will be glorious images of Christ. And give Him glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. 
and all of the things we associate with weakness in our bodies will be gone. It is sown as a natural body. It is raised as a spiritual body. What an amazing thing to look forward to because of the resurrection. Because Christ rose, He is the first fruits and we will be re- reborn in His image. Resurrected in His image. Last point of our top ten about the resurrection. Because Christ is risen, we who believe can view death without fear. Because Christ is risen, we who believe can view death without fear. Verse 44. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written in these great, these great words out of 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And this is worded almost like a taunt of death. My kids are really good at taunting when they win or when the, when the other does something. No, 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 you know, all that. This is a taunt of death saying you've been swallowed up in victory. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? We fight death in our culture. We fight aging. The anti-aging industry is huge. $79 billion of income just a couple years ago. But we can't defeat death. But we know who already has. And so those that believe in Him can say death We don't have to view it the same way. It is not separation from God. It is not permanent separation from others who believe. It is simply going home to be with Christ in heaven. Paul goes on in verse 56 to say that. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming back to the penalty for sin is death. We see that in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. And he says the sting of death is sin. That is what causes separation from God. And every one of us who who have sinned, which is every one of us, deserves death. Jesus paid that penalty on the cross and defeated death and sin through the resurrection. And if we repent of our sins and believe on Him and follow Him with our lives, that resurrection will apply to us as well. But I want to challenge you with this. The resurrection is a gift for those that believe in Jesus Christ. That victory is a gift for those that believe. And if you are here this morning and you have never believed in Jesus Christ and never turned your life over to Him and never understood that we are sinners and He died on the cross to pay for our sins and that He rose again on the third day, if you have never believed that and followed Christ, then His resurrection doesn't apply to you. And there is no hope in death. And I don't say that to to just ruin your whole morning. I say that because it can make your morning incredible because this morning you can follow Christ. This morning you can say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I'm a sinner. And I repent. And thank you for being raised on the third day 
and conquering sin and death. And I trust you with my life. And today can be the first day of your new life, of eternal life, because of his resurrection. I challenge you to make that decision today. To say, I will follow Christ. I believe in Christ. And then this becomes your resurrection day of sorts. A day where you can celebrate your coming resurrection to life. One last verse. Our response. So Paul spends 57 verses here talking about the resurrection. And then the very last verse, verse 58. Do you see the first word? Therefore. And when there's a therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. You know, we talk about that. So his conclusion, his application of all these ten points, and he actually has more in the text about the resurrection. Therefore, stick with the faith and do a ton of work for God. Therefore, stick with the faith and do a ton of work for God. Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Those are words of sticking with your faith. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Overflowing. Having, having the work of the Lord mean everything to you. I struggled with using the word ton because it just doesn't sound very spiritual. Oh yeah, Pastor Ron said we're to do a ton of work for God. But, but, you know, what do we say? We're to do, you know, a plethora of work for God or a multitude of work for God. We, we could come up with other words, but it's got to get down to real life. God wants us to serve Him. We are entrusted with the gospel. We are entrusted with the resurrection. And so we've got to get up off our seats and do something with it. That's Paul's challenge at the end. Stand firm in your faith. Do a ton of work for God. And he ends with knowing that In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Because of the resurrection, God's power is proved. Because of the resurrection, there's more to life than what we see. And so because of that, any work we do for the Lord will have eternal value rather than just temporary value. I can remember a missions trip when I was in high school. And we had gone down to Tijuana. We had spent a week down there. We just worked our hearts out. And we saw no one come to Christ. And we got on the bus that last night, Friday night, we're leaving the church. And, and the bus is just quiet because, you know, we're expecting to be able to celebrate numbers, right? Because that's how we judge whether God's working. Well, I've got news for you. God doesn't always work the way we want him to work. And we got on the bus and we're quiet. And the pastor from the church we were at down there came on the bus and, and he knew what we were going through. And he read to us 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. And he said, you're working for an eternal God. Nothing you've done this week is is in vain. Nothing is empty. Nothing is worthless. Go knowing that God has worked this week. Six months later, we went back. And in just a few days, saw 30 or 40 people come to Christ. Because it wasn't about our timetable. It was about God's timetable. And we were planting eternal seeds that God was watering and God was causing to grow. Do a ton of work for God. He is risen. He is God Almighty. We have someone to live for. We have a, 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 the gospel to proclaim and it is great news. So we need to act on it. This Easter, may we remember that we're entrusted with the resurrection.
were entrusted with the story of the gospel. Dear Lord God, our Father, you are almighty God. And Lord, through your resurrection, you proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are God and that you are higher than all, that no one compares with you, and you defeated Satan, you defeated sin. Lord God, you defeated the penalty for my sin on that cross and in that empty tomb. Lord, I owe you everything. I owe you my life because of your sacrifice, your payment for sins, because of your resurrection, your promise of restoration and new life. Lord, help me to live like I remember that and to not be ashamed of the greatest news that man will ever hear. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name.